your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, today we're going to be talking about what is normal. Are you normal? I don't know if I'm normal. I, I don't think I'm normal. <laughs> when, when I wrote the show, I was really getting into the topic because it's a lot deeper than I thought it might be. And what's interesting is it's it's uh, very timely because, you know, here in the United States, at least in England, a few other countries, there is a lot of uh, uh, redefining of what normal should look like. And so this is a, a challenging thing. And I think it's something that we've always done as a human being, as a race, as a society, is always establishing new normals. But, you know, there is a core to what normal might be. And, uh, you know, it's it's past time that we rethink what we mean by the words normal and abnormal. You know, as those words apply to mental and emotional states, behaviors of human beings, it's a real question as to whether those words can be sensibly used at all, given their tremendous baggage and built-in biases and the general confusion that they create. And, and this is not an idle question without real-world consequences. I mean, the treatment of every single mental disorder that the mental health professionals diagnose from depression to attention deficit disorder on through schizophrenia flows from how society construes normal and abnormal. And, and this matter really affects tens of millions of people annually, and it affects everyone, really. Uh, since, since a person's mental uh, model of what is normal is tremendously influenced by how society and institutions define normal. The, the matter of what normal can't be and must not be uh, a mere statistical nicety, it, it really can't be and must not be normal to be Christian just because 95% of your community is Christian. It can't be and must not be normal to be attracted to someone of the opposite sex just because 90% of the general population is heterosexual. And it can't be, and it, it, it must not be normal to own slaves just because all of the landowners in your state own slaves. Normal can't mean and must not mean what we see all the time or what we the, see the most of. It must have a different meaning from that or the, to mean anything of value to the right thinking person. So, you know, uh, feeling of discomfort as if normal were equivalent to the obvious that you were somehow abnormal when you were in sentiment and human and real. This, you know, is exactly the game played by uh, the mental health industry. It makes the precise illegitimate switch. It announces that when you feel a certain level of discomfort, you are abnormal and you have a disorder. And it, it equates abnormal with unwanted turning, you know, I don't want to feel sad, I have a mental disorder of depression, and then we hide behind the labels of what that is. And then that disability gives us cause to have uh, medication, have support, have groups, have all kinds of benefits from being labeled on that behalf. 
Well, you know, all these diagnoses are spectrums. They're, they 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 come with different flavors. They come with different uh, uh, influences on them. And so these mental disorders that create us uh, under the label of abnormal uh, can be a real challenge. You know, and, and sadness, guilt, rage, disappointment, confusion, doubt, anxiety, any other similar experiences and states are all expected and normal given the nature and demands of life. Except that the mental health professionals, where, where those states and experiences become markers, and I'm not talking about states like, you know, Illinois or something like that. I'm talking about the state of mind and experiences become markers of abnormality. And they also become cash cows. You know, mental health is a multi-billion dollar industry around the world. You know, it's simply not right to call the absence of significant distress normal in the president in the presence of significant, you know, significant distress. It can be an abnormal response that we have. And so being labeled is just not right. You know, it's reasonable to say that if you uh, contract tuberculosis or manifest cancer or, you know, you've gone from a healthier state to an unhealthier state, but it's not reasonable to say, for instance, that it is healthy for you to suffer no ill effects from killing uh, unarmed civilians or unhealthy of you to experience distressing consequences. You know, you are suffering. You know, but but for instance, the diagnosis of PTSD in, in this is instance is not like cancer. In this case, it may in fact amount to a healthy and nevertheless extremely distressing functioning of your conscious to relieve stress. Um, you know, quite frankly, if if you look at the DSM five which diagnoses every mental illness state, any man-made me- mental illness, which is called an axis one, which means it's not biological, um, any of those man-made diagnoses are derived from the desire to control things we cannot control. And so the symptoms that we experience within the diagnoses are simply symptoms of how we express our anxiety over a situation or an environmental cause or how we express sadness or how we express uh, guilt or how we express anxiety. All of these symptoms have a common feature, but they're not all done exactly alike in every individual. You know, but we have to examine what normal is and, and uh, because normal is a floating target. You know, it will not uh, prove legitimate to announce that a person is healthy because they're they're not feeling distressed or unhealthy. There's whole industries grossing billions of dollars built on words of normal and abnormal and on the idea of well and disordered. And it's, you know, inconceivable that the right thing can be done and that the situation can change. Even right-minded and high-minded mental health professionals can't really conceive of doing away with the current idea of a mental disorder. If they did away with it, what, what would you have? Where would they be? Well, given that even the best and the brightest in the field are attached to uh, illegitimate name gaming, there is probably no hope for change. You know, I'm not trying to put down the mental health industry because it is a great industry, especially from a counseling perspective. And particular diagnoses like schizophrenia and bipolar, medication helps 
tremendously. Depression, medication can help you tremendously. It can help you calm down so you don't fall into the symptoms that keep uh, uh, manifesting, uh, for instance, with depression or anxiety or or uh, uh, you know uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, things like that. You know, the bottom line is is that you can get help, but There is not a need for people to manufacture these disorders in order to sell medication or to continue getting counseling. You know, I always call myself a brief counselor. And the reason I do that is not every client is going to be brief. Not every time is it going to be within eight sessions. You know, I I, I even try to work to be faster than that because I want people to get quality, not quantity. But some therapists will drag things out and some uh, psychologists will drag things out uh, and go very slowly with their clients. And by doing that, what they're doing is they're making more money. And so, you know, I don't believe in that. I, I truly believe that we should be there for the client experientially within their space, within their issues, looking at what is driving their symptomology and helping them move those symptoms away. And so by falling behind a a diagnosis, especially people that do therapy and can't uh, prescribe medication, it does no good to label someone from that perspective. Also, those diagnoses, now that all the health industry is all linked together, what happens is if I were to diagnose someone with depression and an insurance company were to... uh, 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 pay me to see that client, then what would happen is the insurance company now has a bank where all insurance companies can access that says you were diagnosed with depression. Now, suddenly you go for a job like law enforcement or, or FBI or CIA or whatever that is, that diagnosis will stay with you the rest of your life, whether it's right or wrong. And so we had to be very careful in this industry. And you as a consumer need to be very careful to make sure that when you're being diagnosed, you're being diagnosed properly. And also, if it's a diagnosis that's going to go to your insurance company where your insurance pays for something like that, that is not a label that you want to have on your life unless it's true, unless it's something you're really, truly coping with. So once again, second opinions are never a bad idea. You know, every person is distinctive, and that means we're all weird. <laughs> you know, the, the concept of physical illness is really understood, you know, because the body becomes infected or inflamed or it grows abnormally or it's a, a affected in a number of ways, all of which can be studied Uh, conventionally with laboratory tests or under a microscope or just by visually seeing it or an x-ray. But mental illness is something else altogether. Mental illnesses or emotional illnesses are disturbances of behavior and of a feeling and a thought. And so they are disorders of function that do not correspond readily to precise physical impairments. And so it's intangible. That means it can't be seen. You can't just Put your finger on it and say that's what it is. Every person, once again, is distinctive. And so a particular individual with their own ideas and their, their own way of doing things, the, the mentally ill seems special only in that they are more distinctive. They are idiosyncratic 
or eccentric, even peculiar. Yet in their strangeness, there is nothing recognizable. They they experience no impulse nor longing that is foreign to a normal person. They suffer no illusion that a normal person has not known. The symptoms of the mental illness are embedded in and grow out of a normal personality, but since life is varied and complex, it's hard to determine where normal behavior leaves off and abnormal behavior begins. You know, um, if the manifestations of mental illness can only be seen in relief against normal behavior, you know, that would be kind of sad. You know, what sort of person is a normal person? Is it someone, first of all, who feels happy a considerable part of the time? You know, not at all. It's hard to be happy all the time. Quite frankly, it's a lot of work. And it's just one emotion. And so people that just want to be happy, well, that's one emotion. And if you spend your whole life just trying to be happy, you're never going to find peace. Because peace means acceptance. Peace means we accept what we have and don't uh, try to make the best of what we have and maybe grow it into something even better. You know, there are groups like religious groups, perhaps, with social uh, members that, that feel a sense of identity. And, and uh, that, that means it's, it can be uh, trusting and affectionate. And it can also uh, help us grow uh, to be around people that have similar thoughts and feelings that we do and reinforce that. Because, uh, for instance, with spirituality, it is intangible. Religion is intangible and faith in God is intangible. But you can see real results in the things that happen in your life that you know you could not have done by yourself. You know, a, 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 a normal person can work with satisfaction, you know, if it's decent work. And they can relax when they're not working. They can enjoy playing. In fact, they enjoy uh, the, themselves much of the time, even if they're only talking to a friend or watching television. But probably the defining quality of a normal person is a kind of flexibility that allows them to adapt to a d- different demands and stresses that life impose on them. And they can tolerate conflict and frustration and loneliness to some extent. And, and they're also able to seize upon life. So they're, they're successful at work with less and less resemblance with uh, people and within the family to some extent. But probably it's possible to go on endlessly stretching the form of the ideal human being. You know, but we're going to really do a dive into what an ideal human being might be because where this thing goes all over the place. But we have to explore just from 30,000 feet, what premise do we review normal from? You know, uh, what is normal? Well, uh, although a peculiar behavior may not be itself abnormal, it may be a part of a pattern that reflects an abnormal process. Like uh, sleeping less than average, for instance, is sometimes associated with severe depressions and other psychoses. Also, if someone is extremely far from average in some respect of behavior or attitude, it's likely they will turn out to be emotionally ill by some other criteria. So people that don't sleep, that is abnormal. And, And we need sleep. We need sleep as human beings. That means there's something that is driving them, whether it is mental, physical, or both, Something is driving them to be abnormal. And do, do they need help? Yes, absolutely. Someone who's significantly different from other people may be under special strain as a result for, for in order to be with people. So it's necessary to do pretty much 
things uh, other people do. So, so let's say a man who works uh, two full-time jobs, for instance, is not likely to be at home when his family is. And so if he is away from the important people in his life, most of the time, to some extent, inevitably, he'll be emotionally deprived. So does that mean he's abnormal? No, it means he's responding to the situation that he has in order to prioritize the finances of his family or her family and survive. Uh, most important, an individual is is most themselves uh, at just those points where they're different from others. You know, consequently, uh, their points of departure for a search into understanding of a person. You know, human behavior is always hard to understand, for it is an expression of the most. Uh, biggest part of our unconscious wishes and our conflicts. Nevertheless, you know, personality becomes tangible in these out of ordinary habits and attitude. Way may, you know, one may ask why, for instance, a person would take three showers every day. Well, it may be because he thinks of himself and his body as being unclean, or that she might find a sensual pleasure in rubbing themselves, or there might be countless other reasons of which may illuminate a facet of their personality. Knowing what is special about someone is knowing at least what is worth paying attention to for a therapist or a friend or a family member. You know, perhaps, you know, it's easier to say what is not meant by normal than what is. Normal is not average. Uh, If someone could be average in every conceivable way, they'd be disturbed. Although a perfectly average person is no more real than someone who is perfectly normal. You know, conversely, when uh, atypical does not mean someone who is sick, you know, a man or a woman may still be normal who, you know, part of themselves who, who sleeps five hours a day. Some people can get by with stuff like that, you know, or works an extra job or takes three showers. But knowing just how someone deviates from the average is important to understanding them. You know, although a particular behavior, um, you know, is abnormal, we, we can't look at them through that. But we can look at what is abnormal. What is it? Well, we're going to take a look at that when we come back. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. It's time to transform your life. Start by tuning in to The Glenise Show with Glenise Hughes. Glenise combines business, relationships, wealth, life, and a whole lot of magic to create abundance and prosperity in every part of your life. 
It's all done through straight and often frank discussions in the best way that Glenise knows how. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Master your life with The Glenise Show. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about what is normal. Are you normal? You know, there is a thing called abnormal psychology, and it's a division of psychology that studies people who are abnormal or atypical compared to the members of a given society. So the definition of the word abnormal is simple enough, but applying this to psychology really poses a, a very complex problem. What is normal? What's norm? For what age? For what culture? So the concept of abnormality is imprecise. And difficult to define. So, you know, some examples of abnormality can take a whole lot of different forms and involve different features so that what the first sight seem, you know, with a, at first sight, it may seem like a reasonable definition, but it, it may turn out that it's a problematic definition after it kind of sets in. You know, with the, the definition, it is necessary to be clear about how rare uh, a trait is or a behavior needs to be before we class it as abnormal. And so, for instance, one may say that an individual has an IQ below or uh, above the average level of IQ in society is abnormal. So, you know, a statistical approach, you know, can help because it can address what is meant by normal in a statistical complex, uh, you know, context, but it helps us make Uh, cutoff points in terms of diagnosis. So there's also limitations. How, you know, the the definition of abnormal uh, fails to distinguish between desirable and undesirable behavior. For example, you know, obesity is statistically normal, but not associated with healthy or desirable. Uh, You know, conversely, high IQ is statistically abnormal, but may well be regarded as highly 
desirable. So the many rare behaviors or characteristics like left-handedness, I'm left-handed, I have to have no bearing on abnormality or abnormality. Some characteristics are regarded as abnormal, though they're not quite frequent. You know, depression, in fact, may affect about 27% of elderly people, but this would make it common, but that doesn't mean it's, it's normal or abnormal problem. You know, the decision of where to start the abnormal classification is, is it's pretty arbitrary. You know, who decides what's statistically rare and how do they decide this? You know, if an IQ of 70 is, is a cutoff point, how can we justify and say someone with 69 is abnormal and someone with 70 is normal? You know, the definition also implies that the presence of abnormal behavior in people should be rare or statistically unusual. Which is not the case. Instead, any specific abnormal behavior may be unusual, but it's not usual for people to exhibit some form of prolonged abnormal behavior at some point in their lives. And, and, and mental disorders such as depression can actually very be very, very common. As a matter of fact, I suggest that everybody in this world at some point is depressed or has been depressed. And, and that it's just a matter of how much. You know, the, the, the violation of social norms, you know, is something that we also have to look at. A person's thinking or behavior uh, 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 can be classified abnormal if it violates the written rules or the unwritten rules about what is expected or accepted behavior in a peculiar social group. Their behavior may be incomprehensible to others and make others feel threatened or uncomfortable. But every culture has certain standards for acceptable behavior or socially accepted norms. Now, what's interesting, if you look at how society is flowing today, you know, the Me Too movement, the women women are redefining themselves and redefining their position in our society and redefining the benefits that they should receive. They're redefining what equality is all about. And that that's what that movement is all about. Also, people are throwing out in many larger societies where uh, people are more used to seeing uh, same-sex couples or couples that are complex or, you know, transvestite, whatever. You know, people are, are now coming out quite a bit in these larger cities and it's normal to see that kind of stuff it's normal to see the rainbows on the houses it's normal to see uh uh, uh what people might have seen uh five years ago or ten years ago was was american flags now we're seeing uh rainbow flags all over so you know it's it's all different and so what people are fighting for is to redefine what normal should be in our society so that people aren't prejudiced against, so that people can individualize and be accepted for the individual that they are. And that means we have to have a huge swath, a much larger view of what normal is within our society. You know, different cultures and subcultures are going to have different social norms. For example, it's common in Southern Europe to stand much closer to strangers than, let's say, the United States. You know, uh, voice, pitch, and volume, touching, direction of gaze, acceptable subjects for discussion have all been found to vary between different cultures. You know, uh, Japan, the Asian cultures, especially in Japan, they have a lot of hierarchy in how they discuss and who discusses what with people. China is the same way. Not that it's not changing, not that it's loosening up, because it is, but those rules are still there. 
You know, for example, you know, wearing an, a chicken suit in the street for a charity event would seem normal, but wearing a chicken suit for everyday activities, such as shopping or going to church, it'd be socially abnormal, you know? So how do you respond to that? You know, time must also be taken into account as to what is considered abnormal at one time in one culture may be normal at another time, even in the same culture. We see that today in the United States. We see that around the world, as a matter of fact. You know, different people can behave in the same way. For uh, for some, it'll be normal, others abnormal, depending on the age or the gender. You know, for example, you know, a, we- a man wearing a dress and high heels may be considered socially abnormal as society would not expect it, whereas this is expected of women. So with this definition, it's necessary to consider, number one, the degree in which normal is violated, number two, the importance of the norm, and number three, the value attached by the social group uh, to different sorts of violations. So uh, is the violation rude? Is it eccentric? Is it abnormal? Or is it criminal? Obviously, when behavior is violating other people, and that means it's putting people in danger or it's something that is affecting a society in a, a very negative way, but meaning that it's criminal, then obviously that behavior does need to have boundaries around it. So I'm not saying we should accept everything. What I am saying is that we have to continuously review and discuss with each other what is normal, what's abnormal. And that's how we make peace with life. You know, the most obvious problem with defining abnormal is using social norms that there is no universal agreement over social norms. Social norms are culturally specific and they differ significantly from one generation to the next and even between, uh, between different ethnic groups, regional, socioeconomic groups. And in some societies, uh, such as the Zulu society in in Africa, hallucinations and screaming in the street are regarded as normal behavior. So social norms also exist within a time frame, and then they change over time. And that is what we do know. You know, behavior that was once seen as abnormal may be given time, uh, uh, become acceptable, and vice versa. For instance, during the Renaissance, it was perfectly normal for husbands to wear women's clothing and to go to parties and to social events wearing women's clothing with their wife. And just that was the way they went about things. And so we as today uh, probably would be more accepting of that. But the, the, the truth is, maybe 10 years ago, maybe five years ago, maybe 20 years ago, uh, that would have been uh, a violation of society's rules. And people would be a little bit more uh, confident in themselves to confront people like that or to ban people like that from their social life. You know, social norms can also depend on the situation or the context that we find itself. You know, it, 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 is it normal to eat parts of, the, of a dead body? Well, in 1972, a rugby team who survived a plane crash in a snow-clapped uh, uh, Andes Mountains in South America found themselves without food and in sub-freezing temperatures for 72 days. So in order to survive, they ate the bodies of those who died in the crash. Is that abnormal? You see, we got to ask ourselves that. So, you know, a person is considered abnormal if they're unable to cope with the demands of everyday life. That is true. 
And they also may be unable to perform behaviors necessary for day-to-day living, like safe self-care or hold down a job or interact meaningfully with others or make themselves understood. Those would be classified in almost any culture because their life requires others to assist them as abnormal. Um, Also, you know, uh, uh, define the failure to function. If you really want to look at that, uh, Rosenhan and and Selgelman did a study back in 1989 where – Suffering was looked at as abnormal. Uh, maladaptedness, which is danger to yourself, so that would be like suicide or cutting. Uh, maladaptedness is what I meant. and Or vividness or unconventionality. That means that we stand out. That means that we make ourselves known. Uh, that can be abnormal. Unpredictable or a loss of control, that can be considered abnormal to some people. Irrationality or in, incomprehensibility. And once again, this is Rosenhan and Selgelman, um, 1989. That's how they looked at uh, what is normal and abnormal through the scope of irrationality or incomprehensibility. Uh, if it causes observers discomfort, that can be considered an abnormality. Or if it vo- uh, violates moral or social standards, that can be an abnormal. So that's how the scope of looking at abnormality uh, was done back then in that study. And I would have to say that we still view it through that scope. One limitation of the definition is that, you know, abnormal behavior may actually be helpful, function, and adaptive. Uh, For example, a person who has obsessive compulsive disorder of hand washing may find that the behavior makes them feel cheerful, happy, better able to cope with the day. You know, that's just how it goes. (laughs) Many people, many people engage in behavior that is maladaptive uh, or threatening to their self, but we don't class them as abnormal. For For instance, adrenaline sports, skiing, my gosh. People die doing these adrenaline sports all the time, like uh, 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 motocross and, and uh, you know, d- ATV. Uh, it happens all the time. Smoking and drinking alcohol is actually, is it abnormal? Well, many people try to make it normal. Skipping classes, is that normal? Well, we don't know. We don't know, but we have to view the scope of how we see normal. You know, uh, 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 abnormality can be defined as a deviation from ideal mental health. So it requires us to decide on characteristics like what would be normal. Well, uh, uh, Jehoda in 1958 defines six criteria, which and back in the 50s, by the way, looking for what was normal was a huge movement uh, with them. And what it did was by by stressing very hard about what normal is and the social rules and and laws and what's accepted and not accepted um what's religious and not religious all that resulted in the 1960s revolution uh, uh that the, the, that our society created where where people wanted to break out of these patterns and redefine what normal was and so they stretched our view of normal. So once again, you know, the artistic world will often redefine what normal is. So uh, they look through the scope. Jehoda in 58 is, do you have a positive view of yourself? Are you capable of growth and development? Are you capable of autonomy and independence? Are you accurate in your perception of reality? 
Do you have positive friendships and relationships? Or do you have environmental mastery, which is able to meet the varying demands of day-to-day situations? You know, so according to this approach, more of these criteria are satisfied the healthier the individual is. So th- this this is uh, 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 ethnocentric in many ways. Most definitions of psychological abnormality are devised by white middle class men. So it's been suggested that this may lead to a disproportionate numbers from certain groups being diagnosed as abnormal. So now we have to begin in the mental il- illness uh, field is to to understand who is classifying what these mental illnesses are. Are these all one group of people or are these a massive group of people that have different perspectives? Well, I would suggest that this DSM-5, which is the Diagnostic Manual for Mental Health that we currently operate by, uh, was uh, fairly diverse, but I imagine that as we move on into really getting to micro diagnoses, what's going to happen, which is what's going to happen with with the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Health, uh, it's moving more towards how we can work with uh, a medication to get a, a particular diagnosis that will call for a particular medication. That is primarily. What uh, the DSM-4 is doing is, is really coming, or 5 doing, is redefining these diagnoses in a way that a person can get more help and people can know more about what to do. So, you know, behaviorally uh, abnormal behaviorists believe that our actions are determined largely by the experiences we have in life rather than by underlying pathology of unconscious forces. So abnormality is seen as a development, and this is from a behavioral perspective, of behavior patterns that are considered maladaptive or harmful for an individual. So behaviorism basically states that all behavior, including abnormal, is learned from the environment, from our nurture, and that all behavior has been learned can be unlearned, which is abnormal. why abnormal is treated. That it is to unlearn what you have learned. You know, and the truth is, quite frankly, if you think about it from a marital perspective, you know, a lot of people try to mimic the marriages or unconsciously end up mimicking the marriages of what they observed uh, when they grew up. And God forbid they do that because most marriages that operated even five years ago are not a role model for how to operate in this fast-paced Uh, socially connected, uh, social media type of world that we all live in, in this global economy, and with all the mechanisms and technology that we have at our fingertips at this current day. I mean, I don't know how many of these kids, uh, especially teenagers, could live without an iPad or an iPhone. You know, it's just amazing. Uh, how fast things have moved, maybe more fast, faster than what our ability to adapt is. But quite frankly, what they're saying is, is that all these behaviors can be unlearned. And if we just look at the human being and unlearn what you learned from your parents and then relearn what to do as a married couple, you may be able to uh, prosper in this day and age as a married couple. And, you know, quite frankly, I have a lot of uh, belief that there's merit in that because there is ways to be married and there's ways not to be married. And many people don't learn how to be married. Unfortunately, they're married for 50, 60 years. You know, God forbid uh, someone actually stay married. But, you know, the deal is if if they're going to stay married, there's ingredients that you have to do 
and many of those are in your vows, quite frankly, that you have to do whether you want to or not if you want to stay married. All right, now get off on that post here. You know, the emphasis of the behavioral approach is on the environment and how abnormal behavior is acquired. So we're going to take a quick break. We're going to talk about conditioning very quickly, and then we're going to talk about Freud's unconscious mind and what that was all about. And then we're going to move back into really, truly defining what a normal person is. Come back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something that is unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about, are you normal? Hmm, what is normal? That's what we're talking about. You know, our society can provide a lot of deviant, maladaptive models that children identify with and imitate 
And that comes from a theory called social learning theory. You know, the cognitive approach, that the thought-based approach, assumes that a person's thoughts are responsible for their behavior, but the model deals with how information is processed in the brain and the impact of that behavior. So the basic assumptions from a social uh, learning theory is maladaptive behavior is caused by faulty or irrational thoughts, and it is the way you think about the problem rather than the problem itself that causes the mental disorders and that individuals can be, overcome mental disorders by learning to use more appropriate thoughts. So, you know, Freud uh, believed that early childhood experiences and unconscious motivation are responsible for disorders. Now, I'm talking about Sigmund Freud. The, I would call him the grandfather of psychology, the beginnings of what psychology uh, became. And he looked at the unconscious mind as a big glacier. And so the conscious mind is just the very tip of the top that's above the water. And that's the small amount of mental activity that we know about in our mind. And then he called the pre-conscious the things we could be aware of if we wanted or tried. And that's just below the water if you were to go down and just kind of be a diver and just kind of view, but you can't go all the way to the bottom. And then the unconscious is that is the things that we are unaware of and cannot become aware of because they're too hideous to be, can, to be even uh, spoken so, you know, so thoughts and perceptions are developed in the conscious mind. Memories are stored, which is just below the conscious, below the surface of the water. And then if we're looking at that glacier all the way down, the unconscious is the god-awful fears, the unacceptable sexual desires, the violent motives, the irrational wishes, the immoral urges, the selfish needs, the shameful experiences, and the traumatic experiences. And that's what... Freud defined as the unconscious mind. So I would suggest to you that the battle for what is normal and abnormal really is the struggle with what is in that unconscious mind of the individual and how much of control does that person have of those unacceptable desires, those fears, those violent motives, those irrational wishes, those immoral urges, those selfish needs shameful experiences, traumatic experiences. And when a person is struggling with that unconscious mind, that is when they're invading and walking into the land of abnormality because society is too ashamed to even begin to view those things as normal. And what I suggest to you today, especially from a sexuality perspective and an equality perspective, our society is truly struggling with making the unconscious conscious and bringing about a visual conscious view of what resides in the human being's unconscious. And so they have a huge battle with government and they have a huge battle with faith based on the fact that they are trying to bring about the unconscious mind, which from a biblical perspective, many things that happen in that unconscious mind that people are making conscious goes against what many believe is in the Bible. And so there's a huge redefinition of what the Bible is all about. And what's more important is the, all of the, the uh, uh, doctrine of religions are, are being watered down to make room for the fact that they have to make uh, these things in the unconscious mind acceptable in some way for people to come to church and to, to, to believe in God, which is a healthy thing. 
But what's interesting is it's changing the doctrine of how this country operates and how this world works because now all religions are falling, more religions are falling into the basket of a universal church, which is what Catholic means. Uh, but but Catholic is not a universal church anymore. So, you know, they, they formed too many rules and guess what happened? They imploded and good old Martin Luther um put his new rules on the door and and everybody started to to wake up and develop their own view of how the Bible is and began reading it for themselves rather than letting them speak it in Latin, standing to the back with their back to the uh, the people uh, uh, telling you what the Bible's all about. And that all that all changed in Vatican II, by the way, back in the 60s. All right, so an alternative view of mental illness is a social construction. So once we look from the social perspective, you know, it's been argued that in the 60s, anti-psychiatrists that are an entire notion of abnormality or mental disorder is merely a social construction by society. And that's what the 60s uh, basically said, that mental illness is, is uh, created by doctors and it's meant to build an industry and an illness must be objectively demonstrable and biological with biological pathology but psychiatric disorders are not. So it just kind of threw that mental illness is vague, subjective, open to interpretation, which in many regards is very true, very true. But, you know, mental illness can become you. Depression can become you. Anxiety can become you. Any, uh, 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 having a, a, some kind of disorder where you're, you're repeating yourself over and over like I do, uh, is, is a, can can really become who you are. And, and so we have to struggle with, wow, is this diagnosis taking over the person or is the person able to manage the diagnosis? And that's truly where the rubber meets the road. Is this person becoming a walking diagnosis? If that is the case, they're losing their ability to control their life, to operate, to begin to make their own free will, to have their own thoughts, and to have freedom and happiness and peace. It all fights against that. So we do have to take mental illness serious when it becomes the person. And that is really where we have to differentiate, in my belief, between abnormal and normal. You know, it's such a broad concept to look at. But here's some normal things about people. You eat. As we all know, the average person does not eat as they should, but honestly, what's a diet? You know, healthy is a broad concept, and does anyone actually know what food is considered healthy anymore? You know, thus, if you eat, you're normal. So, what you eat, who cares? You breathe, that's normal. Okay, that's something we all share. And if you have time to breathe, then you're not, uh, if you don't have time to breathe, then you're not normal. If you find yourself always rushing around and unable to catch your breath, then congratulations. Consider yourself as normal as it gets. In today's world, everything is a race, and we forget that our body actually needs what? Oxygen. Well, you know, I've done I've done this spiel about oxygen a million times, but I have to tell you, you know, if you don't have oxygen, your brain can't run the show. And so that means organs start shutting down. They start feeling pain because the brain is stealing the oxygen out of your stomach, out of your heart, 
out of your it's taking all that oxygen out of the the lungs and it's basically applying it to the brain because it needs it to run the show and if you're not breathing and you're on very low amount of oxygen you're not going to be able to function very very well and guess what that's where anxiety land lives anxiety has a lot to do with people that breathe through their nose and not through their mouth and they have poor breathing maybe they're too fat to breathe very well and so god forbid they have to have you know uh, uh, oxygen attached to their nose because if they didn't they'd probably die on their own because they can't breathe and so it's very important for us to breathe if we can't breathe we can't function but you know where else do we get oxygen well strangely Water has about 83% oxygen. Air has about 21% oxygen. So you get oxygen from water. And if you have anxiety, drink water. And guess what? You won't have a lot of anxiety because your brain's not fighting to survive. The other thing is, if you drink from an aerated bottle, which is called a sports bottle, which has a little aerator on the very top and it goes dink, 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 dink when you, when you drink, well, the reason athletes drink from that is because it provides and activates the oxygen molecules instantly so that the brain and the body doesn't have to break it down and turn it into oxygen. So suddenly you get a lot of muscle, a lot of oxygen that helps your muscles and makes your brain alert and you perform better. All right, so I'll get off that pedestal. We all sleep. You're definitely not normal if you get a solid night's sleep, but in order to be normal, expect to get maybe 30 minutes to a solid 45. You know, I'm being a little sarcastic. You know, if you want to be normally, you know, you simply have to get enough sleep to be able to function the next day. You know, if you have time to work out, Only normal people go to the gym to take pictures and make it seem like they're working out and getting fit. So if you actually go to the gym to get in shape, then what are you doing with your life? Weirdo. All right. Now, as a student, if you have time to study, that means you're a weirdo. You know, (laughs) you're the most odd person. You know, free times means loading up on chips and queso while binging, watching uh, something on Netflix that you may want or Game of Thrones or whatever. Uh, you know, everyone likes you. That That's abnormal, isn't it? Or is it normal to have to have everybody to like you? You know, to go to the doctors only for checkups. Those who are able to make it through a full year without needing medicine for an illness, a cast, or emergency room trip, consider yourself lucky. However, normal people aren't always as lucky. Normal people do go to the doctor, do get sick, do break bones, do have cuts, And that's normal. (laughs) You're able to get through the day without calling or asking someone for help. Whether it is calling mommy to help you with the laundry or wipe your butt or for the amazing dinner recipe that she makes or daddy to help around the house because the roof is about to fall in, your sibling because you simply need a friend to talk to, having someone there for you is 100% normal and it always will be. So, you know, the, the desire to belong isn't new, of course. It's an old uh, humankind type of trait, and and it really can get in a person's way. If you obsess over your career, your relationships, your bodies, your identity, whether people like you or don't like you, you're going to find yourself living in the land of feeling abnormal to what everyone else is from your own judgment of your own self. So, you know, we don't want to play mind games with ourselves. So, you know, here's some stories. Is this abnormal? 
You know, a, a, a judge who is a swinger, a minister who's addicted to sex, drugs, porn, or alcohol when they're off work, a well-liked business executive who's abusive at home, people who have children and don't raise them, people who talk to themselves, people who uh, take no accountability for anything, attractive people who are absolutely ugly on the inside, people who are faith-based but don't express it in their lives, you know, people who have uh, 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 multiple marriages and keep on going without looking inside themselves, prostitution and the people who sleep with them without anyone knowing, even their spouses, cat collectors. Are those normal? All right. That's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. You know, our audience just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's incredible. I'd love to hear from you at drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or the Absurd Psychology webpage at voiceamerica.com. Now, remember, if someone proclaims to be normal, run. If someone you date says they have a normal family, you want to run faster. And the worst two minutes of your life will be when you try to be normal. And most people act pretty normal being weirdos. (laughs) And when people like women have children, the doctors usually say it will take six weeks to get back to normal. Well, like being awake 24 by 7 and flopping your tits out every five minutes is normal. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 